The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 373 Premium for Thursday, January 5th, I said greetings. I don't know what I said. It's cold up here in the studio. John, it, I forgot to uh, uh, turn up the heat earlier today. And uh, and it's like 50 degrees up here. The heat's on now. But uh, but uh, let me try that again. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips. We provide some answers. We provide some tips of our own and cool stuff found because we love it. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Are you wearing a sweater? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. My fingers are frozen, though. Oh, <laughs> well, gosh. not frozen. You know, it's 50 degrees. It's not frozen. Yeah. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. All right. There he is. John F. Braun. Uh, so you staying warm over there, John? Uh, yeah, I got on? the, uh, um, yeah, I usually keep the house at about uh, 61 degrees. Yeah, daytime. Yeah, and I did, yeah crank it down a bit though. Actually, I've I've kept it um, you know, I keep it a little uh fifty something degrees at night. Yep. But I get I always get nervous because now we're we're starting to get into the nighttime where it gets sub zero. Yeah, but if you got your heat on, you're all right. Well, except that uh, the genius that built an addition to my house here put some of the uh, heating pipes outdoors, literally what? outside, or just yeah. in out outside walls. Oh, no, no. Outside. Oh, beautiful. That's hmm. okay. That's curious. Uh, yeah. Well, it was uh, when they built the addition. I I guess they just did. <laughs> uh, so anyways, yeah. So I learned about that when I had a uh, pipe freezing incident a number of years ago. But uh, no, but they're but they're insulated and enclosed. And uh, no. So I just keep it, keep that part of the house a little warmer. Just to, get to keep that, things uh, flowing. Well, what do I, what do I have? The, yeah, I think that the, I think the water on the heater is set for 180 degrees. So as long as that that cranks up every now and then, it'll prevent it from freezing. Right, right. Yeah, frozen pipes are not fun. You could put antifreeze. I know we're nowhere near Mac stuff. We're going to get there. You could put. There isn't a way to put antifreeze. I've heard in, about this. Yes, thing, which I actually have here in the studio, but it's a closed loop system, so it's a different thing. But anyway, yeah, my system the the valve that introduces. Yeah, it, it takes water from the water supply right. but no i've heard about that antifreeze for the yeah for the uh for the heating system there's, a, there's there's pros and cons to this like everything folks it's uh you know the, the antifreeze obviously keeps the pipes from freezing but it also eats away at your pipes probably faster than than just whatever you're i think my eventual solution is that you can get uh heat wrap for mm. for external pipes yeah and i think i may do that someday all right let's uh <sighs> let's get to the show you know what Let's turn things. We've been talking th things backwards and it's cold and let's do let's do cool stuff found first. Sure. All right. Cool. So Ken writes uh, as a follow up to Scott's suggestion in show 371 of using Mail's photo browser. Corellia software has a free utility called iMedia browser that provides this capability as a standalone application for accessing all media databases on the Mac, plus adding capabilities for accessing media in folders and via the Internet. The latest version, 2.0.1, is available in the Mac App Store, and uh, the prior version supports uh, 10 uh, up through Snow Leopard and is available on their website. So if you want the Lion version, you got to get it through the Mac App Store. But uh, and I'm looking to see how much that is. It is free. So, yeah, he said it was a free utility, and, and I apparently didn't believe him. So that's a, that, that sounds like a no-brainer, to be honest. Because that way you can search your iPhoto library and everything without uh, without having to launch iPhoto. That's actually pretty cool, huh? That's why it's cool right. stuff found, right? Cool, cool. <laughs> Have you tried that one out yet, or no? No, I'm just like I, I couldn't possibly try all the cool stuff found. I know. I try to. I try to try a lot of it, but you know. Mm -hmm. Uh. Okay, listener John has uh, a tip. He says, I've got a cool stuff found tip when it comes to managing addresses. I use a service called Social, S-O-O-C-I-A-L, because I guess social.com was taken. Uh, it syncs the address book between my three Google address books, my Mac and my iPhone. It's not free, and 
not cheap, but uh, I have the five, $5 a month plan, which maxes out at a thousand contacts. There are many more expensive tiers as well to help manage more contracts, uh, co- contacts across multiple users too. I haven't tried that. Uh, the service does uh, make multiple backups of your contacts and lets you restore from any of those past versions of your contact list. It also has a deduper service, a contact cleaner and import export functions included as well. Even though I balk at the cost a bit, it's the first time in a very long time I have a single address book amongst all my devices and accounts. That has turned out to be worth more than even five bucks a month for me. So cool, John. Thank you. Uh, thanks for sharing. Okay. That. Well, that was uh, the, the, that was kind of uh, referencing our whole LDAP discussion. Right. I guess the only downside to this, I guess, it, it appears to be Mac and iDevice only. I guess you can't. Oh, is social not... Um, um, I'm not getting, I'm looking at their page and I'm not getting the feel that it's, it's really cross platform that I could be mistaken. Uh, access social from your computer, iPhone, Blackberry, Android device, or oh. other smartphones anywhere. Yeah. I think you're good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So it is, it is cross. Sync, yeah. It's a sync, so it syncs with over 500 services, uh, Outlook, Gmail, Yahoo mail, windows live, you know, blah, oh, blah, blah. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There and we you go. Get a 30 oh. day free trial. So there you go. So, <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, Harold has something cool. He says, uh, Komodo edit from ActiveState.com is a great editor for coders. It does all the syntax highlighting, cold folding, macro recording snippets and other stuff you'd expect from a more expensive editor like BB edit, but it's free. Another bonus is that it also runs on windows and Linux for those of us that have to work on several different platforms. The only disadvantage is that it is slow to load the first time. So, uh, I, 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 this one, I did not yet download John. Um, but I took a look at the screenshots and yeah, I mean, it looks, honestly, it looks kind of like a free version of BB edit. Um, I I don't know if it, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't dug through it to see what it does that BB edit doesn't or the other way around, but, uh, but it's certainly worth checking out. Yeah, well, one that I've, uh, I haven't used for a while, but uh, another one, I don't know if you've ever, uh, delved into uh, Eclipse. Dave? No. Oh, really? Yeah, Eclipse. Uh, it's a. I editor? used it for doing so. Uh, yeah, I, well, I think it's a. It's a uh, similar to this. Um, is it Eclipse.org? ECLA. But I've used it when I did so. some. Uh, yeah, here we go. Eclipse.org. Okay. Um, I've used it for. I used it a number of years ago for Java coding, but I know that it's. Uh, last I checked, it's it's cross-platform and it's also a. Just nice general IDE that a lot of people uh, huh. and look. They even got a big deal, uh, you know, show about it. Yeah, a number of events surrounding it. So, wow. uh, so I'll toss that one in. Eclipse is, uh, and last I checked, it was, uh, you know, at least the. Uh, oh, look at this! They even they got a cobalt plug. Ugh. Oh my gosh! So, Eclipse.org may, may be worth looking at. Cool. Well. Uh, all right. Let's see what Jeffrey has here. Jeffrey writes, uh, hey guys, a simple cool stuff found that I stumbled on today. It was in Lion under settings, general keyboard. There are customizable shortcuts available, which pretty much equates to a simplified iOS version uh, of text expander. So this is on iOS uh, that you can do this and it is cool. Yeah. And it's system wide, which is really good. Um, it's uh, it's not like having text expander. I mean, it's not that full featured, but um, yeah, if on, on your iPhone or, or iPad running iOS five, so not a lion thing, an iOS five thing. Uh, if you go into settings, general and keyboard, um, it's pretty cool. And I've, I've got a couple of things in there already down at the bottom in shortcuts. I've got my email address and my phone numbers and things like that. It's pretty handy. Have you, have you done anything with that, John? No. Okay. And you can also do this in 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 Lion. I'm, I don't have my Lion computer up here. Uh, do you know how to do this in Lion? It's like it's like poor man's text expander is what it what it equates to be in Lion. I mean, you can't get this same functionality from text expander on iOS. But um, let me see here. If I go to System Preferences on Lion, and I go to Keyboard. And I go to keyboard shortcuts. You can add your own, um, right? Isn't that where you do it, John? You know what I'm talking about here. I, uh, I'm really not into the the shortcut thing. 
How could you not? This is like I'm, one I'm of those a, I'm things. A, well, you know, I'm going to tell you, and and here again, another tangent, but I think it's, it's, it's under, worth so, looking at here. So it's under in system preference in line system preferences keyboard yes. uh, keyboard shortcuts and then keyboard and text input, and I think so. Right? No, that's not where it is either. Where is it? Well, how come I can't find this? Go ahead and tell me why you don't right. like this. Well, I'm going to tell you out. because yeah. so actually someone introduced me to this test or it was a, one of my my Twitter peeps. OK, tweeps. Uh, I hate that. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm a typing machine, Dave. Uh huh. And I learned this. How did I learn this? I learned this. So here's a, a neat little site. Of course, we will link to as we do with almost everything. Speed dot 10 digit one digit zero fast dot com. Okay. And the thing is, I, I took the test here. I, I was actually kind of surprised. Now, it's a, it's a relatively simple typing test, but I, I clocked in at about 90 words a minute. Ty- which, dude, uh, I type a buck 30. Yeah, all right. Well, but, yeah. but it, 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 nothing. It, listen, I don't care how fast you type. If you type three, it, you know, if, if I have a shortcuts that, that's three characters long, I, I am going to type that way faster than I type something that is six lines long. There's no question well, well, about that, this. Well, that's you. Well, that's you. If if you can change your brain to to yes, that's true. Shortcuts. It it does require you to change your brain. That's right. Or yeah. as we call it, the muscle memory. Whereas right. here, uh, this I just thought was neat because, uh, well, it was you know someone was saying, hey, you know, uh, here's a typing speed test, and I'm like, gee, you know, I wonder where I'm at because last I checked, I, I was more like seventy. So I don't know if I've gotten faster as I've aged or. I find I, do, I find I do way better at those types types of things when I'm like beat dead tired. <laughs> no, seriously, because I'm not thinking anymore. I'm just my hands are just going. You know what I mean? Makes a difference. But I guess a 90 is is probably That's, above. It's awesome. Average. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, t- I, I got to credit my typing teacher when I took typing in uh, high school. You know, I mean, she thought she was out of a job and then all of a sudden computers came came uh, uh, yeah. came of age and. uh and yeah, I took typing. I, I was even banished to the, uh, the the typewriter with no letters on the keys because I kept looking. She's like, no, 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 no. Touch typing. You can't look. So guess what? We'll put you on the typewriter with nothing on the keys. So you have to look at the chart on the wall. And that 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 drilled it into my mind. So that's crazy. Yeah. If you get an all learn touch typing, definitely you got to do it. Okay. So I can tell you where to find this, though. But yeah, I agree with you. You got to learn how to touch type. It's, it's uber important. Uh, so it, the, 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 I think I had it here, right? Oh, what did I do with it? I lost it now. I had it, John. It's, um, where is the text? How come I don't have this on my computer? It wasn't there like a language and text pane of system preferences or something. Where was this? Maybe that was that was in the old one, right? Is is language and text? That's in uh, is that in Lion? I don't know, John. Yeah, language and text is in Snow Leopard, and that's where you can do some of this stuff there. Well, yeah, yeah. So language and text. Then yeah. you click on the text tab, and then it says use symbol and text substitution. Right. And in that list, you you, you yeah you get a a list of uh, substitutions, and I guess you can add them. So by default, it has fun things like. Uh, paren C paren uh, will replace with copyright paren R, you know, with registered and all that stuff. But, but I see a plus symbol and I've never used it, but you know, I'm going to assume if I click on the plus. Yeah. So it says replace whatever with whatever. And there's a check mark saying on so that that's where I, I would think in lion, you would go to, to, you know, this yeah, is the, but that doesn't exist in line. How come I can't find this in line? This is a, uh, you know, somewhat embarrassing here, John. Well, no system preferences, language and text. There's no language in text in lion though. Um, that's what I'm saying. Oh yeah, there is. There you go. <laughs> First bar personal. Okay. No, yeah. no, it's got yeah, the yeah, little yeah. flag. Yeah. Well, no, I, no, I got to say they shift this stuff around. I, I don't know if it makes sense that it's language and text, but yeah. Okay. So you found it. Yeah. Yeah. That's text. Right. And then, yeah. And then, then you do, you can define your own substitutions if you want to. That's right. So that's right. Yeah. Sorry. I was had a, a brain cloud, I guess. Well, we, I gotta, you, you I gotta go visit the volcano, oh. John. <laughs> Well, we 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 uh, we compliment each other. Sometimes. That's why we're here. That's right. <laughs> All right, uh, let's let's get off of this one and move on to James, who wrote in 
with uh, a cool a cool stuff found item. He says, we all know and love the Lion Tweaks app, which allows you to bring back the library folder, enable repeating keys and other great Lion adjustments. But recently I came across two more apps called Launchpad Control and Launchpad Cleaner. What these allow you to do. And I think we uh, we talked about Launchpad Control once. Uh but uh, it said Launchpad Control is free with an option of uh, donating to the developer. Uh, what these allow you to do is hide apps from the Launchpad, change the background of the folders in Launchpad and the background of the dashboard uh, uh, background, uh, as well as a whole lot of other Launchpad and Mission Control related tweaks. Launchpad Cleaner 2 has a small price of $4.99 for the full version, although the free version is available too, without as many features as the pro version. So very cool. Uh, that's uh good stuff. We, that, that launch pad, that's one of those things in lion that I, it seems like is falling flat. Uh, I don't use it. Yeah. I don't know. Any, honestly, the only time it. I see it is when I download something from the app store and then it, 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 I think by default, uh, shows you the, the launch pad view. Okay. Yeah. Or at least some apps that I've downloaded. I don't know if it's all apps, but some apps certainly that's the only time I see it, but I, I gotta be honest. I, I really don't use it. I, I don't see the point. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, they, they need to, they need to make it better or less worse. I don't know. What's the right. <laughs> Not suck. Yeah. Know. Suck less. That's right. Uh, okay. Uh, Tony writes in and Tony says, I found a little program that is the best thing since sliced bread. You guys probably know this, but just in case, it's called Free Memory. It's in the Mac App Store for 99 cents. And if you choose the extra stuff, here's how it works. It displays memory as free and active, wired and active, just like Activity Monitor, in the toolbar. Uh, one can click on the menu and find a message freeing memory. It appears and like magic, it restores your memory. This is good, says Tony. So it can be good. Um, my feeling, my guess as to what these things do is... Uh, what it's probably doing is it's probably taking the things that are in inactive and forcing right. them out so that it then becomes free. And it does that by filling up all the free memory and then spilling over into inactive and then and then releasing all of that. And that can be helpful um, in a situation where you, you're down to like, you know, 10 megs of free memory and the system is starting to swap and page and all that stuff. It You know, by you, you can flush out your inactive, but. If you're if you're finding yourself in a situation where you've got to do this all the time to actually restore performance, as opposed to just being totally OCD about having a high amount of memory that is truly listed as free, uh, then you probably need more RAM. Uh, but uh, but it certainly will do its job uh, again. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm with you in that the inactive, I think, serves a useful purpose if you have enough memory. Right. That's right. And that, it, and that it's holding on to it just in case you may come back and need it later. That's right. But yeah, if you're tight on memory, then then maybe that's not a wise use of. Uh, right. So you may want to second guess the memory management in this case. But but I'm with you is that, you know, I mean, more RAM is, is always good. And I think it's, it's still relatively inexpensive. More RAM is more better. <laughs> <laughs> always. Always. Oh, we just got it. We got all kinds of little. Oh no, I got to say for the people that we've had people. Though we've had, we've had people write in with with older machines where, for whatever reason, the the maximum is you know especially older machines uh, you know which is like one or two gigs, which to, to me for the most recent Mac operating systems is definitely not sufficient. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm I'm on six on my MacBook Pro and eight on my Mini, and and to me that's sufficient for for the latest uh, OS. But two gigs, no, right. All right. Uh, so Honor sent in a note about a cool app. He says he's found called Fake at FakeApp.com. Says you can use it to automate website uh, testing and is therefore great to uh, test your website. So yeah, check it out at FakeApp.com. It's thirty bucks, but. Uh, there's a free trial available and it's probably not something that everyone's going to use, but uh, it, it's, it, it's kind of like, you know, Safari plus automator. So you can have it, um, you know, automate uh, doing different things with forms on, on your website and that sort of thing. So uh, check it out. It's a, uh, it's interesting. I'm not, again, I'm not sure that everyone would need this, but, uh, but somebody out there might, we've got quite a few web developers here. 
So web automation. There you go. Mm. Uh, all right. And now we have not one, but two um, ways of controlling your Mac from remote. Some that we've talked about before, but are worth mentioning again. Uh, let's say Rob writes. I know you guys have talked about uh, a lot about remote login, especially when it comes to helping others work on their machines. I just wanted to know that I've run log me in for years. Uh, I run all the machines at the studio remotely. It gets through all the firewalls. However, you have to be on site in front of the machine to install the log me in software. That's the only downside. I've been able to talk a couple of people through the installation remotely so they can be on my account, but it's not something for grandma. Uh, maybe not your grandma. Uh, and then I have to uh, change the password on my account. So only I have control. I control about a dozen machines for work and friends, and I do it with a free account. All of this is at logmein.com. Uh, so yeah, check it out. I I've, I've used log me in uh, it. I, in fact, I have it installed on the studio Mac here, and then there's an app that you can get for your uh, iPad or iPhone that will allow you to control all these computers. And And it does, it pierces firewalls really, really well. So, uh, so yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for mentioning that, Rob. That's, that's good stuff. I mean, we, we've, you've used log me in, right? John? Um, you know, actually what I've been doing, uh, when I need to support mom. Yeah. So uh, trying to do remote support with somebody, especially from a, another generation. Yeah. It's very difficult verbally. So I, I think I've, I've, uh, done it both with iChat. Yeah. And also right. now recently she was like, oh, my uh, my sister in Germany wants to Skype. And so I got her set up both on iChat and Skype. And and that when I need to take control of her machine or well, see her Skype desktop. Will let you, Skype will let you see her screen. It will right. not let no, you and, control and, and, it. Yeah. And, and that is is in a lot of cases enough. Mm -hmm. And then I can say, OK, can I see your desktop and show me what you're trying to describe to me verbally and, and more often than not that that's enough. But, yeah, if I need to take control, then iChat yeah. uh, will work out. But, um, yeah, well, and it was even funny. It was over the holidays. She was like, oh, Skype, you know what? My sister, you know, in Germany wants to, you know, do the Skype thing. I'm like, well, you got a Skype ID. Remember I set you up with that? And uh, we were actually in the same house and video chatting, though. The only problem was we, we were getting feedback because the machines were <laughs> in too close, close to proximity. Right. But it was kind of neat. So, uh, but yeah, between those two, I, I find, uh, you know, for Mac people or anybody, I mean, Skype for anybody, you know, yeah. doing the remote, uh, just seeing what somebody is trying to describe is often enough for me to help solve the problem, at least with mom. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Seeing, seeing is believing. Well, or something. Uh, all right. Uh, Carl, take it away. Hi, John and Dave. This is Carl from Antwerp in Europe. In podcast 353, you talked about different ways to perform remote desktop control. Apple Remote Desktop is probably the most powerful, but can need a lot of geekiness in port forwarding. You mentioned log me in, but I find it to have some issues. Another great app is TeamViewer from TeamViewer.com. It is free, cross-platform, and works flawlessly without port forwarding. Keep up the good work. Bye. Well, thanks, Carl. So there you go. You heard it from Carl directly. Teamviewer.com is yet another. Mm. Yeah, I know. I know. I know, I know. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, we've got two more in the cool stuff found category. Two. I think wow. so. Um, we will cool. go to John first. John says, uh, a quick cool stuff found called QuickCal at QuickCalApp.com, and it's also in the Mac App Store. It's a system-wide shortcut for quickly entering a calendar event or to-do Works both iCal and BusyCal and busy to do only a few bucks and does plain English recognition to create events. Uh, I'll also throw in Fantastical, uh, which does something very similar. Um, I'm trying to figure out how much these things are. QuickCal is $2.99 and uh, Fantastical, which is a, a really, really awesome way to have kind of quick access to your calendar in the in the menu bar. It's um, Sure. That, well, that's that. Yeah, it's a different thing. You can get a free trial from uh, flexibits.com and then it's 20 bucks, but it's it's more than just data entry, although it does that. Mm -hmm. um, you just type in your event details and hit return and it like figures stuff out, just like he was saying uh, QuickCal does. So. So that's that. 
Uh, Overload. What's that? Oh my gosh. Well, no, I actually have one more. So I, I might, I might've lied. I know. I know. So, uh, one of our favorite iOS app developers, Corey over at mobile vision software told us about a cool thing called clipboard cleaner, uh, and clipboard cleaner. It's available for 99 cents in the Mac app store. So this is for your Mac. And you know, sometimes you copy something to your clipboard and then you go and paste it and it comes with all the fonts or formatting or whatever underlining or bolding or whatever colors you copied them from a web page and it's a pain in the neck and you got to like figure out how to clear all that stuff out and just get the text. You know what I'm talking about? Well, there's a couple ways to do it. One is you could launch like a text only editor and I use BB edit for this and I paste it in and then copy it out and, and paste it somewhere else. But that's kind of a pain in the neck. Uh, what this does is once you've copied it to your clipboard, you go up to the menu bar and you hit the little button or you hit their little uh, keyboard shortcut and it scrubs all that junk out automatically for you and leaves you with a keyboard that is full of nothing but text uh, or clipboard. Sorry, that is full of nothing but text. And uh, and then you can paste that in wherever you want. So there you go. Clipboard cleaner. So check it out. It's fun. It's good. And we like Corey. Corey's a good guy. Um, Indeed. Time to go to uh, questions, John. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, I, I'm gonna love the, oh, the, 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 the. We tag team, but but let's let's start with. All right. Let's go to uh, oh. let's go to Paul here. Let me uh, let me get to the bottom of this here. It's a big thing. Okay. So Paul writes. Uh, any ideas why the file size listings in my Lion Finder windows? for folders and or documents can sometimes show up gray instead of the usual black. I've seen this happen on my MacBook pro uh, for its internal hard drive, as well as for network attached drives and all of that. What is going on, Mr. Braun? You know what I'm going to speculate. So I noticed this too. And Dave, you know, this is a really annoying one because I couldn't find any information about this on the apple site or i did a little bit of surfing but i think i came up with the answer okay and i think paul confirmed it so i looked on my machine and i noticed the same thing i noticed that some of the file sizes were gray and some were black now my assumption is that gray means one thing and black means another and i think i found out what gray means because what happened is that i would go to the um finder menu and say view show view options and there is a little checkbox that uh, uh some people may have seen before called calculate all sizes what i noticed was that if i looked at one of these windows and and i found it in, in multiple windows where the file sizes were gray if the box was not checked if i then checked it eventually all the values would turn to black ah so my speculation, and I think Paul confirmed this in a follow-up, is that if the value is gray, and again, I find it weird in that Apple didn't really advertise this, but as far as I can tell, if it's gray, what it means is, you know, this value is not fresh. It's not up to date. Because what happened is when I unchecked or sometimes rechecked, calculate all sizes, eventually all the values in, in if you're looking at a certain finder view, um, would all turn black. Right. So that's my speculation. Again, he got back to me and said, you know what? I tried the same thing and, and I came to the same conclusion you did, John, is that the, the gray values are, are not complete or stale. And I, I actually like to reach out to our, you know, to our, our premium or all listeners, but, you know, you're, you're premium. So but but I'd like to know if uh, for people who are listening, I'd like you to back this up because I, I found it. Paul found it, but uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't know how much you did with this, Dave. No, I don't. I don't typically have that option on. So uh, okay, but it, so you haven't seen gray file sizes. All no, right. but I remember with Snow Leopard. Anytime I did this, it was like dashes or whatever, and then it would change. Uh, so perhaps just different behavior. Right. So, so I'm thinking it's just it was a tweaked line that they thought was yeah. You know what? If the value is not you know fresh or complete. Let's make it gray instead of a line. Right. And I think that's what they did. And they just didn't tell anybody because I saw a lot of discussion online and nobody was really sure why it was happening. So, yeah. So cool. when we, we reach out to you, the listener, you know, please give us data on this. Uh, 
you know, bring up that checkbox, uh, bring up that finder option. If you do the list view, that that's, I guess, the thing. If, if you do the icon view, you're not going to see it. You're only going to see it in a certain view. So. Cool. All right. Uh, John, listener John has a an interesting question. He says, I end up leaving my Mac on much of the day during daytime hours. I'm working on it. But in the evenings, I often leave it on because it acts as a media server for my Apple TV. During the day, I like to have my display sleep setting set to 15 minutes, but in the evenings, I like it set to its lowest possible level, one minute. Can I have the switching of this setting automated? I took a look at Automator, but I didn't see how to do this. All right. So, uh, <laughs> John, why don't, why don't we you... We ex- had so much fun. Yeah, why don't you explain uh, kind of the path that you found and how to change this setting, and then we'll talk about the caveats of, of, of doing that in an automatic way. So basically, the the path that I found, so number one, Automator. So the question was, can Automator do this? And as far as I can tell, the answer is directly no. Yeah, I didn't. I I couldn't. I agree with you. I couldn't. Automator automator does not have because to me, what I was looking for is an automator action to change a system preference and energy saver. And Automator does not have this. So. What what's next? Well, the other option is, well, Automator can certainly run shell scripts or terminal commands and i i I think the two are pretty much equivalent uh shell scripts and terminal commands are the same thing yes yes okay so then i was like hmm well let me poke around and i did some google foo and i found out well you know the thing is so, so you can't change it in the ui but what you can do is that there is this command that we talked about in the past dave called pm set power management settings and guess what? One of the options is display sleep, which I think is what John is looking for. Now, then I fumbled a bit here and that I was trying to find and, and I think I, I took the wrong path. And then, Dave, you, you led me down the correct path. And that's <laughs> why we're a team here. But I thought I could say run shell script, which is one of the options in Automator. And I thought that would be the option that would work here. And I I. I don't think that that quite worked out here, but but basically the command that you use in the terminal. So if you go to the terminal, yeah, and you say pm set, one of the, the the ways you can run pm set. So of course you can say pm set, and I'm going to do it here dash g, and you know it'll show you a number of values, and one of them is display sleep, which as far as I can tell is the same thing that you're encountering in the system preference. That's right. Now of course what you can do in addition to saying pm set dash G, which shows you the values is you can say PM set and you can say, Hey, well, PM set, why don't you set a value? And here, here's where Dave, I think uh, we'll do the handoff here. I was like, Oh man, you know, I, I thought I found this, but the problem is PM set. When you set a value, it requires you to be administrator or do a pseudo and something. And I, I couldn't quite get it. And I think that's where I'm going to hand it off to you, Dave, in that. So number one, the, the, the option I found was different in that, um, Shell script was not the right option. I think it was more run Apple script. And, and then let me hand it off to you. So so I, I started going down the right path. And then I think uh, you and I, we, we were doing the pre-show and we completed it. Uh, well, you completed it. So so I will hand it off to you. Yeah, no. So so you can you can do it either with Apple script or with a shell script. Um, the, the issue is that it has to be when you edit this stuff in your system preference pane, you've got to authenticate. And so that's the problem inside Automator too, and and you can do it as an Apple script, and we can post some links to things. But essentially, you say you tell the Apple script, uh, you know, so you say run Apple script inside of Automator, and then you say um, do shell script, and then you you do this pm set command, and then you, you at the end you say with administrator privileges, and that'll work, but it's going to ask you every time you run this to. Uh, type in your password and that may not be what john wants he said he wanted it in a truly well, automated fashion right well if he's not if he's there then that's cool that's fine but right i would assume that he's not so that's right so uh so the then you have to think about okay well how can i issue a terminal command uh normally if you're going to do this from the terminal if you're going to do that pm set dash a it'll tell you you've got to type sudo first and as we've all found out if you've messed around in the terminal if you type sudo space pm set dash a and your various options it then asks you for your password because that's what you're telling it to do well 
you can use magic little pipe commands in the terminal and we'll, we'll post, uh, in fact, we'll, I'll talk to Jim, uh, MGG Jim has been doing a bang up job with, uh, with the MGG answers articles. And so I'll talk to Jim about, uh, posting an article about this so you can see it, but, but essentially what you do is you, you, you send the password and you can do this all on one command line. Uh, you send the password to sudo. And then you, you issue a, a switch with sudo that says dash S that says, yeah, take the password from the standard and you echo it and, uh, through a pipe command. It, it's way easier to, to visualize uh, than it is to, to explain. How, so, so there is a way to do this and, and, and John can do it. But uh, the interesting thing, John, is that as we've been, as you were talking before, I thought, you know, mm-hmm. we, we say there is no automator action available to uh, set the, display sleep but perhaps there is and i did i found one yep um and i'm gonna i'm gonna try and run it here so i i downloaded it and uh the the interesting part is wait downloaded huh yeah so you can download automator actions from anyone anybody can make an automator action so you found someone that created an automator action to do this so so it's not built into the default ones that we find okay that we were talking about oh yeah cool so, but I'm, I'm trying this here. And so I've got it to change my display sleep and I'm going to save it as an application. And then I'm going to close automator and I'm going to go to my, Oh, where did I save it? it should be smarter than this. Okay. So let's run it and it runs and it says it encountered an error. Well, that's no great surprise. Yeah. It? We saw that before. Yeah. So, so well, I think on. we're on it. Is it uh, so PM? Uh, but I think uh, to wrap it up, PM set. Trying to execute PM set from the terminal is the way to enable this behavior. That he's yeah, this for, is interesting. Right? I wonder why. I wonder why the workflow failed. It it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, well, I saw oh, a lot no, of that trying, trying to, to solve this. It's trying to run. Yeah, it's trying to run some command that doesn't exist. So, no dice. That's too bad. That's too bad. I, you know, it, but it, it's possible, but yeah, I mean, you gotta, you can't do it without having your, um, you can't do it without authenticating. So, so, uh, so we'll post a, we'll, we'll post a, a, an article that sort of explains this in a general sense for anybody that wants to do anything like this. If you want to do something that requires administrator privileges from within inside automator, there, there is a way, um, to, to do that. So it's good stuff, fun stuff. Uh, and, and I'll say this here in case I forget to do it after the show, but Jim, I did not CC you on all of those emails that went back and forth because I didn't think until now that this would be a good thing for, uh, for all of that. So, uh, ask me for it. And, uh, and then the rest of our listeners will happily see this in visual form. So everybody, big round of applause for Jim. Jim's doing a great job. There it is. Yep. Thanks. Uh, okay. Now let's move. Everybody else was applauding too, Jim. Trust me. Uh, we just can't hear them because the crowd the, goes wild. The microphones only work in one direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's go back and move on to Adam. Mm-hmm. And Adam writes, I just ordered a two terabyte time capsule. Congratulations. Uh, Adam says, despite having a life filled with Apple devices, this will be my first Apple backup device. I would like to ask you if you could advise me if you could advise me on a few things. There are several people in my house, so my intention is to split the time capsule into two one terabyte partitions. One will handle time machine backups and the other will be for sharing files amongst the others here at home. However, I want the partition with my time machine backups to be only accessible by me. In essence, one partition that can only be seen by me for time machine purposes and one that can be seen by everyone. How do I partition this? John? Well, I'm going to start, Dave. Uh, as far as I know, any networked volume, which the time capsule is, in that it does not let you connect the drive in the unit directly using something like USB or Firewire or, or Thunderbolt now is the latest craze with all the cool kids. Um, Mac OS X does not give you the ability to partition a drive it's a, if it's a network drive. So I'm afraid, right. sadly, the answer is if it's if you want to keep it in the time capsule enclosure, you will not be able to partition this drive. Now, 
I'll offer two options here. Number one, and I've seen people report being able to do this. Now, option one, which is risky and you're going to avoid some warranty, I'm sure, but you can certainly, if, if uh, and I would say iFixit or some other site is probably the best place to go, you can pop open your time capsule, pull the drive out, put it in an enclosure that is either USB, FireWire, or Thunderbolt, and then partition it and put it back. And as far as I could tell, based on what I've seen online, that will work in that the drive will then appear as multiple partitions. That's right. So that's option one. Now, option two is if you want to get kind of fancy here and kind of work your way around the limitations of network drives under OS X, it doesn't fully address this question, but I think one thing you may want to do. So he says he wants to do two things. He wants to sh- he wants to use it for time machine, and he wants to use it for sharing files. The only thing I could really come up with um, is if you on the time machine in file share mode, create a fixed size disk image, and use that for the file sharing among the people that you want to file share with. Then that what effectively what that will do and oh, disutility. Well, disutility will let you do this. Disutility will let you create a image file of a fixed size. Right. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, come on, I've done this for a while, dude. Right. Right. No, that's good. I like it. Uh, so that was my yeah, one option. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so it's kind of clunky because you may have to mount the disk image and all that. But it, uh, again, with disutility, you can create a disk image of a fixed size. So not a, a not network a volume. bundle. Right. You wanna- uh, I don't think so. No, you, you, you definitely when you go into and I don't have it in front of me, but when you create your disk image, you definitely want to say this is a fixed size disk image. Here is how big it is. And when you do that, then the, the uh, disutility will create a disk image file of that size. And then you place it on the time capsule. And if it's, you know one terabyte, which uh, from what I've seen, you can do that. It asks you, all right, well, what's the size of what you want to create here? And okay. And you can do a custom size. So right. That's my thought is you create a disc image on the shared drive. And that'll reserve the space for you, which is what he's trying to do. And then now the only thing, uh, what I'm proposing will not do is that it will not hide the time machine, uh, thing that he's he's sharing here so, so so i'm i'm actually kind of sad here because uh, what he wants to do is not possible with the time capsule without cracking it open i i would almost suggest that he gets a separate drive to do the time machine backup thing and uses the entire and that's just my my thought here i'm i'm actually i'd go it, the other way around i i would oh, do time well okay. i would do time machine backups to the time capsule only because that is an officially apple blessed oh, and supported okay. method right and then store okay. all the family's files somewhere else that okay. th- that would yeah all right you know what i mean that, that, but i mean it's no i'm it's, with you but but the thing hairs, is but but yeah. I, but i think what we're saying is in general uh, at least under official mac os 10 uh you know, disutility and all that partitioning a network drive is not possible. Right. And I think maybe that's not just a Mac thing. It's just a a general thing. It has to be a connection like a SATA or, you know, again, USB firewire or whatever. You need that level of access to the drive in order to partition it. Cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you do. You need physical access. That's right. But but the time the time capsule will support a drive with partitions. It'll happily display them both, and you know all of that good stuff. You just it won't. So if you're if you. you're comfy uh, with the uh, putty knife or whatever, yeah. Uh, I I actually you know it's funny because you know I think I may do this because I have the time capsule. But Dave, since I got the Drobo, I really haven't used it for backup, and I may crack it open just just for fun. Well, I was just thinking, to see what if, I can do. Yeah, as you were saying that, I, I was thinking maybe. Uh, it, for people with, you know, older first gen time capsules, like you said, that are out of warranty and and uh, if you if you have to replace the drive on it anyway, that's the time to stop and say, OK, you know, do I want to partition this thing? Yeah, because right now I'm not using it for backup at all, ever. It appears on my desktop, you know, you know, it appears as a network drive. Yeah. If you choose that in, uh, you know, the airport utility but I haven't used it for, for ever uh, again, ever since I got the Drobo, I have not used my time capsule as a backup device. I've only been using it as a uh, wireless router and uh, just a, a wired router. Right. Right. 
Right. <laughs> cool. Next. Next. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we will uh, we will go and stay with Time Machine for a little bit here. Hey, guys. I use a Time Machine backup in my classroom, uh, which works fine when I choose it. But when I return home, I then want to use the Time Capsule for my Time Machine backup. My Time Capsule then asks me for my password each time I choose it when I return home. Um, when I go to select disk in the Time Machine preferences to choose it, uh, despite the option of registered users uh, being selected each time. So I wasn't quite sure how to avoid having to enter in my password each time. It seems like it was a new problem because I used to switch between the time capsule backup at home and the time machine external hard drive attached to the computer um, in the classroom. And I remember switching back and forth but never having to enter in my password each time for the capsule. Would love your advice. Thanks. Bye. John, you got any thoughts on this one? I always have thoughts. <laughs> My thought here, uh, it, I keep saying this, but it shouldn't happen. I agree but, with that. Yeah. But but if it is happening, here's uh, here was my um, instruction to Dave was one is that if you look in your. Uh, so where is this stored? And if, and I'm going to tell you where it's stored or at least where this data should be stored, is if you go into uh, Keychain Access, which is an app on your Mac, which you can find. I think it's in the Utilities folder, or maybe Applications. I think in Utilities. But if you go to Keychain key Access, and then you look at, uh, I think it's the System Keychain, you're going to see a bunch of entries here. And, and there's a Kind column, and one of the kinds of entries in the Keychain, which is you know just a wonderful creation, to store all your passwords and stuff uh, in Mac OS X, uh, you're going to see a, uh, a type called Time Machine Password. Now, my suspicion is that that is either damaged or not there or, or somehow screwed up. I don't know. So my question to Dave, and, and I don't think we've heard back yet, was do you even see this entry in your keychain? So again, I told him to go into keychain access, click on system because there's a list of keychains. And then do you see any entries time machine password? Number one, maybe that entry is corrupted. So right. I would suggest maybe highlighting that entry and whacking it in keychain access. The other thing is that keychain access has a general repair utility. So if you go to keychain access and then in the keychain access menu, there's something called keychain first aid. And there may be corruption within your keychain that maybe that's why you're seeing this. So that's that's pretty much all I got there. I mean, it should never be asking you once you've uh, submitted a, a username and password to the keychain and said, yes, please store it. And that's the other thing. In a lot of dialogues, it says, by the way, please store this. Um, it should never ask again. So that's that's all I got for that, Dave. I don't know if you have anything extra. No, I think that'll do it. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the right move. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um All right, let's see. How are we doing on time here? I don't want to mm, 48. Yeah. Okay. All right, good. So let's go I like to, uh, St Steve? Yeah, I know you like Steve. It's a it's a esoteric thing, but but there, there well. are some people there are some people for whom this will matter. Uh uh, Steve, <laughs> well, no, it's, you know, we try to make, we try to answer questions in a way. Well, it's, uh, no, I understand. It's, it, it gets pretty geeky. Well, it's but. not, no, it's not so much the geeky. It's that, you know, yeah. when I'm, and this is probably good for all the listeners to hear when I'm looking at all the questions and compiling things and, and, you know, we answer individually as, as you all have probably figured out, we try to answer almost everything that comes in. And, and I say we, um, but, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, but, but, we don't answer it all here in the show. And, and the reason is in the show, we try to, my goal is 20%. And what I mean by 20% is something that will impact in some way, 20% of the audience. Now, a lot of times we have these questions that are very, very particular, no. but we can abstract something out of it and say, okay, here's this deal. I'm not so sure that's true about this question, but we're going to go ahead no, I'm with it, it anyway. No, I'm with you. MTUs are not something most Mac people Ever deal with concern those, but but okay, we're here. So Steve writes, I have a time capsule. I'm on a fiber network in Japan, and and to try and make this, you know, get closer to our twenty percent number, we'll say this is good information for anybody that that's on a DSL network in a general sense or a DSL connection. Uh, and he says, 
it has a forced MTU size maximum transmissible unit of 1,438. When I use the time capsule as my router to connect to it, I cannot get iCloud mail and have some trouble loading websites. If I change the MTU setting on my Macs, I have to 1438. Everything works correctly. But on iPhones and iPads, because I cannot set this, I am still unable to get MobileMe or iCloud mail. So I need to figure out how to change it in the router or on the iPhone or iPad. So what he's talking about here is something that most of the time you don't need to deal with at all uh, when you're dealing with a network. Things sort of uh, auto negotiate. And in a way, there's just sort of a standard out there that it it works with. What is an MTU? Tell me. So an MTU spit it out <laughs> is the size of um, a packet, the maximum size of a packet that can be sent to uh, and from other people on a network in a very, very basic sense. Right. I'm it, with it, you on that. Yeah. Yes. So what's happening here is if and, and normally these MTUs are set at fifteen hundred for people. So if his on on Ethernet, on I would e- say mostly yeah. mostly on Ethernet. Uh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a good. That's right. Yeah. Um, but even over our slip connections back in the old, old days, it was still 1500, right? I mean, back then. Because uh, the only thing like the, the thing I ran into is on gigabit Ethernet, sometimes like you heard me probably go on about this is yeah. the MTU on gigabit Ethernet could be jumbo, which is 9000. But I would say for the most part, you're correct. 1500 is a pretty standard MTU size at a low level on the networking stack so here's the problem if your router um which does more than just route the traffic it actually will take things and if your computer's sending at one mtu it, it can actually change things so that it works better but if you've got one device sending at 1500 and there's a device in the middle that's not doing any translation but it's just passing packets and it is set to transmit a maximum of 1438 which is his problem Uh, which is the situation he's in, then you have a problem because you're sending more than this thing can receive. And you're going to wind up with like either packet loss or, or data loss or things just aren't going to work. Right. Or expecting and that it's expecting a smaller size. And the problem is at least from what I recall about TCP IP, if the receiver does not get what it wants, then it's going to say, well, send me the extra bits a little later. And that's, I think where the big problem is. Is that that doesn't always happen. So in in his case, the the magic answer, the simple answer is to take his router and and his time capsule in this case and set it to transmit at the uh, at the same packet size, the same MTU size as as his DSL connection or his fiber connection is expecting. The problem, as we're mm-hmm. going to tell you, Steve, is that your particular router your time capsule. And this is true of any other Apple router. You can't set that setting on it. So you're in essence screwed. There's not much to do other than get a new router on which you can set these settings. And most other routers allow you to do this. Apple in their infinite wisdom, uh, you know, tries to keep settings, the the number of settings that, that you have available to you down so that it's more, it's simpler to work with, but, that limits your flexibility. And again, it's not the kind of thing that most people you have to deal with, but, uh, but it is the type of thing that you have to deal with. So, uh, well, I, I think that's the magic answer. You know, there's well, no way to say the thing it. is Apple is, well, yeah, no, I think you're, you're right. Is that, it, but I, I think Apple is taking the strategy is that it's not my role to change this. I think, uh, the Apple devices I've seen, they'll pass it along. But like, right. you know, whatever you you say this size is. I'm going to honor it and I'm just going to pass it along. Um, right. Now, the thing is, you could now I think the the, well, the thing that I think won't work, but the thing is, you may want to call the ISP and say, guys, why you do? Why are you setting this really weird, you know, MTU value? Agree. Can you? Yeah, that would. And be, I think it, and yeah. I think it actually may be a bug in their routing equipment. As we said, the thing is. If everybody is doing the right thing, then what should happen is if the size is smaller than the maximum or if there's a mismatch, what should happen is the router or whatever piece of equipment should say, "Okay, well, give me the extra data. It may slow you down, but it's not going to result in. I think that 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 was what what was expressed to us 
it's not going to result in a page not loading or something failing. Right. It'll just be slower, and that's the way it should work. So, but then again, you know, how, how do you convince your ISP to change their routers yeah, I think or their settings? I think there's something about DSL equipment because I've seen this a number of times. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just I don't know. I don't know why, and it's because with DSL, well, you're he said doing- it was fi- well, he said it was fiber, not DSL. Yeah, I know, but, I, I but he was, they, they, he, right again, trying to abstract similar, this oh, okay, out. Okay. It's a similar setup where you he's doing PPP over Ethernet, uh, mm. which is the way you right. interact with some fiber networks or DSL. Oh, I mean, okay. it's all sort of the same at that point. And I think there's something about these these router or the, these uh, you, I'll call them modems that you use to do PPP over Ethernet that that you you have to do this wacky. Uh, MTU setting. And I don't know why that is, but, uh, but suffice to say you, your cheapest option is just get another router. I mean, for 50 bucks, you can get, you know, a Linksys or a, a D link or something that on which you can change the setting and you don't have to throw away your time capsule. You put it in bridge mode, hang it off your network. You can still use it as a wireless access point. You can obviously still use it as a backup point. Just don't use it as your router and you'll be fine. As long as it doesn't have to talk or pass traffic across the internet, you, you're fine. That, that that should do it for you. And that way your iOS devices will work. Okay. Too. Cause there's no way to change it there either. What? There's well, no way to change your MTU on an iOS device. Are you sure? Well, not unless you, I mean, I assume if you jailbreak it and get to the command line, maybe, but well, that, that was exactly okay. the advice I gave. <laughs> okay. That was exactly the advice I gave. Is that, that no? There is a, a command in Unix. So yeah, sure. that was exactly. And let, let me see if I bring it up here. Uh, oh gosh, you didn't read my email, Dave. Oh, I'm, I'm crushed. But no. Uh, one thing you could do is that. Uh, so if you have the ability on any Unix-based computer to run the command called ifconfig, you can change the MTU size. And that was actually the suggestion I offered. It needs is to that, be run as root, which is the thing you can't correct. do with your iOS device without well, jailbreaking. Well, uh, yes. No, you're absolutely correct. But but one thing I offered was that if you do jailbreak your iOS device, and I think that, that, that was the conclusion here, is that the way to solve this problem is to set the MTU on the device itself. And normally, yes, there is no MTU size setting on, on your regular you know, out of the box iOS device, but if you jailbreak it and then you get something like, I, I think it's Cydia and you install a SSH client. Right. Well, and, and I, when, you, once you jailbreak, so Cydia is just the, as soon as you do a jailbreak, it's going to install Cydia, which is the, the, the app store from which you can mm-hmm. go and then get jailbroken apps. So you'll have Apple's app store and you can still do that. And then you'll have Cydia and you can go and, and download um, other you know, other apps and open SSH is available for free inside city. And, and then, yeah, then you can, and then yeah. you run IF config and IF config, which is a popular Unix command lets you set the MTU. Right. And that was the, the one thing I offered. Yeah. Though it's kind of, I mean, I, I personally wouldn't do that. Well, yeah, the problem is you're, you know, how often is that going to get reset? And it depends on right. how the DHCP client works, but it may get reset every time mm-hmm. you attach mm-hmm. to a different network. So sure. You're better off wow. letting your, you're better off letting your router do it. It's just much simpler. So Steve, get a better router, a router. <laughs> now, actually you're probably going to buy a worse router, but you're going to buy a router more suited to your connection. <laughs> that's what it lets you set the MTU. That's right. Yeah. Let's say that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, where are we? Let's go to. Uh, oh, let's go to Greg and then Dave. All right. All right. So uh, Greg writes, I'm using a program similar to Little Snitch that is a feature built into Virus Barrier X6 called anti spyware. Right now, I'm at a free Wi Fi hotspot at a popular coffee shop near my home, and I got this message pop up that something wants to connect. I clicked deny and he did. He sent us a screenshot saying that, uh, that something wanted to connect. And of course the screenshot John sent me is so darn blurry that it's impossible to read, but that's okay. It was, uh, something about a windows, uh, type of share wanting to connect. Uh, says, uh, I don't have any sharing turned on in the sharing prep. So I'm not sure why this would come up. Do you know what's going on? John? No, you have no idea. 
You don't remember either, do you? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I know exactly. No, I, oh, I'm sorry. No, I, uh, when I relayed, relayed this email, no, it, it was in a, yeah, it's in, it's in a tiny, tiny size. Yeah, I got that. But here's basically what he was seeing. So, so as far as I can tell what happens, so number one, you're on an open coffee shop network. Oh my gosh. I would just, I'm very afraid of those. But number two, what, what happens is that you get machines on that network that are doing what, what, as far as I can tell, what was happening is that you got machines on there that are Windows machines. What they're doing is that, especially if they're set up for network sharing or network file access, they will send out a broadcast message uh, on port 139, which is the, I guess, NetBIOS Windows sharing. And they'll say, hey, and, and, so the problem here, I think, is that it's a broadcast message on this Wi-Fi network saying, hey, anybody out here want to share files with me? Yeah, please respond. So I think what's happening is this software is saying, oh, well, I'm getting this request and I'm not really too happy about it. So what, what do you want to do about it? And as far as I know, Dave. The yeah. answer is yes. Say, uh, well, uh, I don't think uh, so. He was also saying he doesn't have Windows, though. I got a question. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if Greg has something like VMware or whatever running that is inadvertently advertising a Windows share. And that's why he's getting these requests. But number two. Yeah, if you yeah. get the request, you say no. Deny. That's right. Yeah, they, they so, look to be pretty, um, it's, it's from NetBIOS is, is what it looks like. Um, and yeah, it, it, I think it's running on his Mac. I mean, it says, it, I found the, the larger version of the screenshot. So it came up and it said that uh, a, a program called NetBIOS D wants to uh, answer requests on one third port one thirty nine or port one or port yeah, four forty five. Which is they their file sharing. Yeah. Port, win, Windows right. file sharing. So and th- and that that's gonna be on your Mac if you if you had Windows file sharing turned on, then then it would uh share you know, it would answer and say, Yes, I have resources. Otherwise it's gonna answer and say, No, I don't have resources. But in this case it's just not answering at all and that's probably even better. So so yeah. Yeah, your uh, virus barrier did a good job. That's good. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, let's wrap things up with Dave. Uh, Dave. Well, Dave has something to share. In Mac Geek Gab 370, uh, you guys brought up the idea and somewhat of the geek challenge of trying to figure out why the person's iTunes songs that were on the external drive uh, seem to be reappearing back on the primary drive. I don't have the answer, but I do have a solution. Um, as odd as that may sound, there is a wonderful application that rarely gets talked about um, called TuneSpan, uh, T-U-N-E-S-P-A-N, TuneSpan, which is TuneSpan.com. Uh, it comes right up if you Google it, and it allows you to literally distribute um, the, the song files that you have onto an external drive, but iTunes thinks it's actually on the primary drive. So I would imagine um, if your friend used that, uh, it, the computer wouldn't get confused and start putting the files back on the primary computer uh, because it makes the computer believe it's all within one iTunes library. It's just magical. Uh, it's free. At least it was at the time that I got it. I donated to uh, the uh, the programmer because I was just so impressed with it. And uh, this is Dave from uh, Missouri City, Texas, and cut me off. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so th- th- that was for Michael Johnston's question. But... Uh, this looks like a very interesting thing, especially for people that have uh, that maybe want to have their movies stored in one place and your music stored in another and podcasts in another. You know, I mean, it, it, there, there are good reasons why you might want to fragment the storage location of your iTunes library and yet keep things all in iTunes. And that's uh, that's what TuneSpan will do. So this almost falls into, well, we brings things full circle, John, because uh, sort of. Mm-hmm. We end. We started with cool stuff found, and we've ended with something that is essentially cool stuff found. So I like that. That's good stuff. Anything else to add, John? The band is, worth the band is the inching thaw, their way. You're, in. you're thawing out the band. <laughs> yeah, it's cold out there. I think the office is up to about 55 degrees now, or the studio rather. So that's good. Good. Yeah, it doesn't feel nearly as cold as it did when I got in here. I think I've adjusted. 
my my tea though is uh, is starting to crystallize from from uh, from the cold. So no, no. <laughs> all right. So you all know how to contact us because you're our premium members, and we really, uh, you know, we say this uh, as often as we can, but I will say it again, and it is heartfelt. Thank you so much for supporting what we do here in this very direct way. Uh, we love it, and uh, we we literally couldn't do this without you. So thank you so much to all of you, our premium members. Uh, just as a reminder, in order to contact us, premium at macgeekab.com is the correct address to use. You know, Dave, you messed it up, man, because <laughs> it's premium at macgeekab.com. That's premium at macgeekab.com. You can send us, of course, text, email, say- audio, pictures. Go ahead, John. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say that the, there's this uh, event coming up. Uh, do we have anything special for you're talking about Macworld, Macworld iWorld. Is that right? Uh, yes, sir. So we're going to absolutely talking about that. So we're going to be doing a, uh, a we're going to be doing a Mac Geek Ed podcast there. Let's see. Let me pull up the uh, the schedule for those of you going to Macworld iWorld Friday. I think it is. Uh, yeah. So Mac Geek Ed is going to be at 2 p.m. Pacific on Friday. Now, it's important to note. Uh, they have moved all of the non-macworld.com yeah. podcasts into a conference room, which I I, I kind of think it's shake. Gonna, yeah, Fish shake. I, I really like the vibe on the show floor. I'm willing to try this once, and if it doesn't work, then we're moving to Jillian's next year, yeah. and we're just going to do it there, and we can all drink beer and all that <laughs> stuff. No, it'll be fun. But uh, but, but it will be. But yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if this works. If it doesn't, I'm going to pull the plug on it. But uh, but but we'll try this at 2 p.m. on Friday. Um, and let's see, a couple other things happening uh, at 11 a.m. on Thursday. So the first day of the show, that's the 26th. I'm doing uh, a solo session called uh, Backing Up Your Mac. And then at 5 p.m. that same day, uh, I am doing uh, a five-minute thing at the Macworld Rapid Fire. It's, there's like, I don't know, 15 or 20 of us that have little five-minute little tippy snippets that we're going to do. Kind of like a... Tippy uh, snippets? Yeah, tippy snippets. Don't you like that? That's that's good, right? <laughs> uh, so, and then, of course, Friday night, the 27th, and again, this is Friday night this year, <laughs> not Thursday. <laughs> Friday night, the 27th, Cirque de Mac 9 will be happening. Uh, if you want tickets... Ask, and we will see what we can do for you, our mm-hmm. beloved premium subscribers. So, short answer is, uh, I, I think we've got room for everybody. Every whoa, there we are. We have room for everyone ah. that's coming, and uh, and we'll bring the band back in. So, uh, yeah. I think that's, uh, let me get back to the show here. Just bouncing around from my calendar. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter. Of course, Matt Geekab for the show. John F. Braun for him. Dave Hamilton for me. Pilot Pete for Pete, even though he's not here today. And, uh, and they can find us on Facebook, John. Really? Uh, yeah. No. Facebook.com slash Matt Geekab, man. Oh. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, I would like to thank Michael Johnston for doing the AAC feed for us. He converts the show and adds the chapters and all of that good stuff. Uh, so thank you, Michael. And, of course, thank you to Cashfly, cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, for providing all of our bandwidth. Makes life a whole lot easier for us and for you. talk next because i'm at ces but uh but we will talk soon don't get caught